Chapter Two. What were those people like? As you might imagine, this was no ordinary pack of souls to be surviving under that stark peak, but ice folk called Quigmoran. For a start, they were every bit as close and secret as any Yulkinta, maybe more so, for few folk even knew that they existed. In many ways, they were as human as you and I. They worked, and they played. They had friends, and quarrelled, and made up again. They cared for their old folk, and loved their children, and those children went to school just as you do, and learned to make a living. But their ways were harsher, had to be, if they'd survive in a place where nothing much could live or grow, and where one careless slip could cost a life. How come their blood didn't boil up there, and their windpipes didn't freeze? Every night, before they went to bed, the Creek Moran took a sip of elixir. What this was, and how they made it, I have no idea. I've heard only that it smelled foul and had a rotten aftertaste that nothing could sweeten, not even honey. But this elixir was what enabled them to live so high inside the peak, breathing that thin and frosty air, and seldom, if ever, seeing the light of day. They were a sturdy folk, and stocky, not too tall. Their skin was frost-pale which came from living under the ice cap away from natural light. Their hair, which both male and female wore long, looked like fine strands of transparent glass, while their eyes... Most critters that live underground have large, dark, even bulbous eyes that help them to make the best of whatever light there is. But Moran eyes were just like yours or mine, except that they were colourless and glittery as crystal. Dwelling under that mountain peak, they did not have to build houses or pay streets. Their homes were caves, their thoroughfares the maze of galleries that honeycombed the peak from root to tip. Why would they live in a place like that? I ask you, why do folk live anywhere? in cities with no sign of open meadow, by stony shore where winds blow salt into your eyes 
and great waves gouge out your backyard and give it to the seabed? In forests full of strange, fierce creatures that sting or bite or even eat you up? On marshland, where one misstep would sink you without trace, and your mother would never know what happened. And way up north, where winter lasts for over half the year, folk huddle in small round huts, unable to tell night from day why. Why do folk make their homes in such places when they could live in comfort and plenty in a comfortable village like ours? I can't tell you. Yet they do. I suppose that home is where you're born and what you're used to and where you're not kept standing on the mat. Whatever the reason... Quick Moran had lived under Snobia Quig for a very long time. As I said, theirs was not an easy life. Since all Quig Moran had to work, mothers could not take time off to mind their young. So, while a few lucky children lived at home, most were reared in communal halls. For the very young, there were nurseries. Older children lived in dormitory groups called Hicksads. Boys and girls quite separate, under the care of minders and mentors. Don't mistake me, the children knew their mothers and fathers and spent time with them during high festivals such as Harvest Day. But those parents did not rear them the way your parents rear you. While the minders, men and women, were permanent caretakers, cleaning the halls, keeping order, and making sure the children had fresh clothes, the mentors were volunteers, serving as advisors and tutors in their particular specialty. Soldiers or scouts, foragers, hunters and gatherers, healers and lawmakers, miners, bakers, potters and smiths, all who would adopted a hicksad and passed on their wisdom and skills. Unlike many other communities, the ice folk had no use for lords and ladies, though at this time they had a king called Morok. Neither young nor old, fat nor thin, tall nor short for a Krigmoran, but somewhere in the middle, Morok was a good, fair king yet stern as need be for his people's good. A widower, he had a son and daughter, and he loved them well. However, if they did wrong, he punished them as he'd punish any other Quigmoran. They, too, 
had to bide by the rules of the mountain. One morning, a bright summer's morning, though you'd never know it within those walls, his daughter, Princess Istrid, dawdled over her breakfast, although the royal mess hall had almost emptied for folk had gone about their business. In fact, Istrid herself should at that moment have been making ready for her morning lessons with Edsia, the king's privy councillor. That young miss, though, was intent only on her companion. Leaning across the table, she fixed her glittering eyes on him, pointing a small white finger. I know where you went yesterday, Wiccan, she said, her breath curling out in clouds. The youth pushed away his empty porridge bowl and leaned back in his seat, his grey eyes worried. You're bluffing. You don't know anything. And if you did, he added quickly, you'd be wrong, because I didn't go anywhere. Istrid sat back triumphant. Wrong am I? Father's confined Ismorok to his chambers. Why? He was seen up in the ice galleries. If he was up there, so were you. In fact, I bet you led him. Wiccan sat up. Did you? Her eyes flashed. How dare you? I'm no telltale. Neither is Ismorok. Not one word has he said about your part in it. So here you are, all three, while your elder and better, hey, come back, she cried, as Wiccan jumped up and walked off. But he was gone. Istrid slumped in her seat, scowling at her porridge. She'd only meant to tease, not to cause a revolution. She sighed. Of all the young folk in that place, Wiccan interested her the most. Time and again she sought him out. Behaviour quite unbecoming for a princess, some would say. And always she went too far and said too much. When would she learn? Miss Fire and Ice, her father called her, in fond moments. Right now she was in the heated state. Not that there was much of her. Small she was, even for a Kriegmoran. Small yet well-defined, with strong bones. Narrow face, too narrow to be beautiful, accentuated by the hair drawn back tightly into one long braid. Eyes not so large, yet wide-spaced, Thumb chin, which stuck out when she would have her way, and her mother's high cheekbones. 
Oh, she had a will all right. And just then, Wiccan was its goal. She gazed after him thoughtfully. He was set for trouble, towards which she had just primed and pointed him. She wondered guiltily if she should try to head him off. A light touch on her arm brought her to. She looked up, bright lames from the high wall sconces reflecting in her eyes. Oh, you! Istrid eyed the newcomer with no less distaste than she had her porridge. Bomac, the privy councillor's son. Like the porridge, he was cold, slimy, and thick-skinned. Of an age with her, Bomac thought himself her equal. He slid onto the seat beside her. That one looks bent on trouble. Where's he gone? To see my father. What's it to you? What does he want with the king? Istrid looked Bomac up and down. He was of a stouter cast than most Quigmoran. Wide shoulders under his brown felt vest. Do not mistake, children. The extra stockiness was not what Istrid minded. Bomac wasn't tall and loose and stringy like Wiccan. She wouldn't hold it against him. It was the swagger, the cocksure way Bomac thought himself above regular Grigmoran for no good reason. Worst of all, he often presumed to get so close he mingled breaths, a gross breach of manners which Istrid found disgusting. She shuddered, a fact not lost on Bomac. It's a private matter. Well, he has no business taking breakfast in here. I invited him. Istrid's tone was sharp. Bomac dipped his head, taking her snub on the face of it. The smirk though, gave him clean away. Highness, I still think a Hicksad boy should stick to the commons and not eat in the king's mess hall. Bomac, Edsia's son, lived in the Privy Council's official quarters and enjoyed the royal amenities with the other privileged few whose parents held high office. Bomac lived in luxury, but to Istrid's mind, he did nothing to deserve it. He leaned closer, breathing his cloud into her face. He's not even Quig Moran. We don't know what he is. He's but a foundling. What do you want with me, Bomac? Istrid was still a girl, 
and second in line behind Ismorok, her elder brother, never likely to take the throne. Yet even now she could be haughty as any queen. Bomak stood. My father would remind you it is time for our weekly instructions in affairs of state. He looked down on her with confidence unshaken. So, if you'll bestow yourself and fetch your writing tablet, we can go tell Edsia that I... Istrid paused. Anything she said in haste would be sure to find its way back to her father. Then she would likely be joining Ismorok in glorious isolation for having such a rude tongue. I'll be along just as soon as I've finished my breakfast. With another smirking duck of his head, Bomac turned and walked away. As he rounded the corner, Istrid shoved her porridge bowl clean off the table where it landed upside down upon the floor. <laughs>